Hello and welcome again to Mets at the Movies, the podcast that talks about movies from celluloid to digital and everything in between. On today's show, we're going to be talking about the 1978 All That Jazz. Now, one of the reasons why I chose to do this, and this was also the first movie that I had watched in 2018, was because 2018, I want to be the year of the musicals. I want to get more into musicals. I want to watch more musicals that I haven't seen before, some of my old favorites. I feel like last year, I took a little time off and I didn't watch as many musicals as I want to because I'm a big fan of musicals. I love musicals. I love watching musicals. I'm really interested to see The Greatest Showman, even though I know that P.T. Barnum behind the scenes wasn't the nicest guy. I'm still going to give it a chance because I heard that the soundtrack is incredible. And that's really, that's a lot of what you're going to see musicals for are the soundtracks. So that's why I kind of wanted to do All That Jazz. And the reason why I chose All That Jazz was because it was a film that I had heard a lot of people online talk about as being a great film, an interesting film. When I listen to other podcasts, people talk about it all the time, but I've never seen it. I never knew a lot about it. The only thing I knew about it was who directed it and that it was a musical. And even that, after watching it, I have a little bit of contention to get with, but I'll go into that a little bit later. And then as I was doing research on this, I found out that in 2001, this movie was added to the National Registry in the uh, U.S. Congress. And basically when a movie gets added to the National Film Registry, it's added because it has cultural significance, important message. Uh, It's a great film that discusses the world its views, um, important issues, things like that. And surprisingly, there's actually a lot of comedies in that as well. So it's kind of weird how the National Film Registry has probably one of the most eclectic film tastes out there. Because when you look at some of the the award ceremonies, a lot of them really focus on like the indie dramas, don't give like the superheroes or the comedies or the sci-fis, or the thrillers, or the horrors, as much of a chance. But the National Film Registry actually has quite an eclectic taste, which is nice to see. Now, before I get into the film, anybody who knows musicals, before seeing this, maybe had the same thought as me. I don't know why it didn't click in, but I thought the song All That Jazz was from this. I don't know why, because I've seen the movie Chicago, so I know that it was it, it was in Chicago. But for some, but because of the name, all that jazz, I just instinctively thought that that song was part of this, but it's not. Now, this movie was directed by a gentleman by the name of Bob Fosse. He's known for doing a lot of musicals. He won um, Academy Award for directing the movie Cabaret. He's also won nine Tonys, eight Tonys for choreography, which is the most in history, I think, in that category. I don't know if it's the most total wins. It seems like it would be the most total wins because eight is quite a bit. But he's also got one for directing as well. So in total, he's got nine Tonys and he's got four Oscar nominations, two for this and one, which he won, for directing Cabaret. This movie stars Roy Scheider as Joe Gideon, our main star, Jessica Lange, Leland Palmer, 
And to answer all the Twin Twin Peaks fans out there, no, this is not the same Leland Palmer. This is an actual person named Leland Palmer. And also Anne Renking, who basically played herself in this film because this movie is basically about Bob Fosse's life. Like, this is a straight, almost adaptation. It's considered a semi-autobiographical film because it's not actually his name being used, but it's essentially his life to the point where Leland Palmer's character played Joe Gideon's ex-wife, and she was a representation of Bob Fosse's real ex-wife. And also Anne Ranking, who played Joe Gideon's girlfriend in this film at the time that this was being made, I believe, was also his real-life girlfriend. So she basically played herself. And both Leland Palmer and Anne Brinking were both are both Broadway stars. So if you don't know them because of their acting talents, it's okay. I didn't either. They're basically they're no more in the Broadway community and a lot of the dancers and actors in this film are straight out of Broadway and musical theater which makes sense because I mean if you're Bob Fosse and you're making a film about um, choreography and Broadway and musical theater it's probably easier to teach a dancer um, how to act for a couple scenes compared to or a broadway dancer to act than an actor had a dance it's probably a little bit easier because i mean when you're doing broadway you're also acting as well and one of the things that i noticed when i was watching these characters was at the beginning of the film and Anne's care character i never really gelled with i wasn't a fan of just her acting style i felt it felt a little too diminished because acting on Broadway and acting in a film are different. You have to ha- you have to have different emotions. You have to have you have to have different styles. When you watch somebody act in a play compared to when they act in a movie, it is two different styles. It is it look it, you you can tell that it's two different things on how to do it. Two different ways of of how to do the same acting job. Aside essentially, so I wasn't sold on her as an actress in this film until she did the dance number everything old is is new again and when you see her face when you see her singing or hear her singing see her dancing you can see okay now i see where she's a star now i get it and for the actually because of that number for the rest of the film i actually started to enjoy her char- her character because it made a little bit more sense at the time of seeing her at the start it just looked like she was just a girlfriend who wasn't that good of an actress or at the time but after that role you could see the power she had in that and it carried through the rest of the film and i actually ended up really liking her performance and really enjoying her character as well now as i said this movie is a semi-autobiographical film about bob fosse But one of the things I want to talk about is this is also considered a musical. Now, I may be wrong, and there may be somebody who is more well-known with musicals and Broadway and theater. If they can explain it to me, that would be great. But this is how I've always been taught or or figured what a musical is. And what I believe a a pure musical is, is when you're watching a film 
and the singing takes place of the of the conversation of the talking so they're having a conversation but instead of talking to each other they're singing to to each other so the characters don't essentially know they're 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 singing it's just part of their conversation that's how i see a, a musical what a lot of the music in this was was musical numbers so people knew that they they were singing minus the last i would say 45 minutes which is a fair chunk but the last like 45 five minutes you understand why these people are singing in the situation they are because joe gideon's character is essentially losing his mind and he's seeing things he's having he's having visions he's having dreams that aren't really there that aren't actually happening so it makes sense but in the real world of this film any musical number they know it's a musical number and to me that is a a, a, a film with with musical numbers musical parts of the film whereas as i said a musical a pure musical is people singing through conversations but they but they don't know they're singing. Like, for instance, in Mary Poppins, when she's singing A Spoonful of Sugar, you could you could realistically say you can have that conversation without singing, but they're singing it instead. And nobody's weirded out, like, why are they singing this conversation? Because the, the, the singing is just part of what's going on in that world, in that context. And that's why I find this a little bit weird to be considered a musical, um, but it has some fantastic musical numbers, some amazing musical numbers and songs, but I'll talk about that a little bit later when I get into more in-depth into the film and what I, I liked about it and what I didn't like about it. Now, the story of the film is essentially uh, Joe Gideon is an extremely famous Broadway choreographer. He's putting together a new show, or they're putting together a, a new show. He's also um, a Broadway director as well, so he kind of does two hats. When he's not do, doing that, he's also he's also a film director as well. So uh, there's a subplot in the film where he's filming a movie, and it's taking an extremely long time because he's been editing the film for seven months because he's just not ha happy with it all. He doesn't. He's not happy. Ha happy with it so it's it's interesting to kind of see uh joe jump from directing a broadway play compared to directing a, a a movie they're both directors but he has to kind of look at them in two different ways he has to he has to look at what works what shots work in a movie and what shots work for a broadway show and it's a very interesting dichotomy you get you you get to see, and uh, it's very it's very very neat. But it's essentially this is about Joe Gideon, and um, he ends up in the hospital while this performance is happening, and the whole story is about him essentially trying to recover to be able to do this last play while also dealing with issues that are going on with his life as well now some of the things that i realized about this film is this is a film that i i don't think i've ever seen a film like this before 
just the way that it works at such it works at a fast pace so you don't get relaxed you don't get relaxed you don't relax but nothing feels like it's overwhelming like you're not watching this massive set piece and then it brings you down to relax and then it brings it back up to this massive set piece you get a nice medium to heavy workload throughout the film and it carries throughout at the film and just 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 when you're like you're you're thinking okay this might be a scene where i can relax a little bit it jumps to the next scene and you start feeling that flow again and it's very interesting how it works it's also really neat because i find that a lot of films when they try and do quick cuts quick shots they don't do them right they're doing it more it it feels like a very it feels very much like a a art school student who's trying to put quick shots that shock you and shock you and shock you and shock you um but this one the quick shots are able to tell a mini story with themselves for just those brief seconds that help elaborate the rest of the film also the camera work is very unique because they were they were shooting it, it 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 looked like it was shot with both the idea of a 1930s 40s movies that were shot on sound sound stages but incorporating current techniques of circling around the characters so at times you felt like when you were watching a scene and the shot was set up where it looked like you were supposed to be watching a broad broadway show the reason why it was set up like that was because you were supposed to be looking at the scene as if it was a Broadway show. You were supposed to be looking at that scene and experiencing it like it was a Broadway show. And then when they get around, when they get out of those scenes, they kind of incorporate more newer te- techniques or newer at, at the time to continue the flow of this of this story. But you never felt disjointed in between. And what was really neat was, I would say maybe. A third of this film is shot in in kind of a dream world, uh, where it, it it's a world inside of Joe's mind, where it's just him talking to Jessica Lang. And one thing you notice right off the bat is when he's in his dream world, the camera is consistently shot from a low angle, so it always looks like the camera is low and looking upwards towards the character except for one scene there is only one scene i noticed when he was in his dream world that the camera faced straight straight at an individual and it was when jessica lang took off her headdress to show her face without any anything covering it anything hidden that was the only time where everything else was shot below and because of that and because of the lighting techniques he used you felt like it was a dream world. You really felt like it was a dream world. Now, even though this movie wasn't, it didn't take place in the streets of New York a lot, it still felt pure 70s. Just from the look of the rooms, people's clothing, people's hairstyle, the way they talked, you could understand without seeing landmarks that were big in the 70s without without going outside and seeing cars and seeing people sticking with strictly the individuals of the cast you could clearly understand that this was pure 70s now now this was late in the 70s but but even though this was 79 
and then you jump into the 80s and you get a completely di- different feel, this movie feels like it could have been shot anywhere between 1970 to 1979. It it didn't have to be set in 79. It could have taken place. It looks very different from any of the films that came out well, let's say two years two years la- later. I talked about earlier about the dream world versus his real world. And one thing you noticed is when he's in his dream world, he's more honest about what's go- going on. He's more honest about his life, but he's not sad about it. He's not upset about it. He's not regretful about what it is. A lot of the theme, a big theme of this film is he knows what he's doing is wrong, but he's got no real remorse for it. And I feel like he never really learns that as well until until the end. And even when he's in, and because like people, everybody, he's got no, he's really has no hidden hidden seat this, secrets in this film. This is a character that you almost feel like everybody knows everything bad that he does. And they just accept him for him and they let him do it. It's almost like they've tried for years to fix him to get him better, but everybody's just kind of given up and being like, you know what? You're a jerk. You're a, you don't know what you're doing. Well, you know what you're doing, but you're a jerk. You're mean. You're selfish. You, you couldn't care less. But you know what? We're just going to let you do that. And we know you know, and you know that we know, and we're just going to go with that through the whole time. So it does show off a bit of, it does show off a bit of ego that when Bob Fosse was doing this, he made it so that everybody knew what was go- going on. But he never decided to change because he felt, I guess he felt like he was, he, he was right. And, that, and that's the ego thing. Like, yeah, I could do this. It's okay. It was totally fine. I'm a huge star. Everybody lo- loves me. I can do this. That's okay. I don't mind. I mean, he gets caught cheating on his girlfriend. And then he has like a second of remorse and then he turns back to the girl and, and he basically is like, eh, you want to do it again? After his girlfriend caught, caught him and ran out. And then his girlfriend ends up staying with him and falling in love l- later on with barely having a conversation about what ha- what ha- what happened. So it's a weird, it's a weird take on just a not so nice and a not so good char- character. But one of the things you can't deny in this film is Roy Scheider is incredible, incredible in this role. I'm used to seeing him from Jaws, 2010, French Connection, where he plays the kind of stoic, confident, manly male. Not manly male, but stoic and confident male. But when he's in this role, you you, you don't see... Officer Brody from Jaws. You don't see that character whatsoever. Like it doesn't even it doesn't even enter your mind when you're watching this character because he plays it so well and he plays it with with heart. He plays it with realism. It's all, I mean it's great when you're being when you're that good of an actor and the person you're portraying is directing you, telling you no, this is how you should act. It helps out a lot. But my God, he pulls it off, and you believe. You lose the fact that Roy Scheider is Roy, and he's and and he's actually Joe Joe Gideon. He's real, and it is it is spectacular to watch. 
this type of acting performance just from all the highs and the lows just everything he's going through the pain he feels uh, the remorse he feels at times even though he rarely has any the sadness the joy it's incredible to watch this it's if you're not going to watch it for anything watch it for his acting performance throughout it's it's masterful and what's one thing I, I do like about this is a lot of the scenes are so crazy that they work together between his dream world and some of the issues that go on in his real life. They're so crazy that if this was, you could, you could, you could easily switch this into a dark drama, but it keeps it lighthearted so much with these crazy and weird scenes that you can't help, but, 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 but stare. You just don't want to look away. And as I said earlier, the musical numbers in this are incredible. I would expect nothing less from a man who's won nine Tonys to have the performances. And the and the women who are doing these performances and the men who are doing these performances are incredible as well. They are they are perfect for what their roles are. And you see some really interesting. I mean, the last, as I said, the last like 45 minutes is basically just four or five like it's like four musical numbers back to back to back to back to back they're all different but they all are performed so well with beautiful voices and one of the things i always look for when i look in when i look at broadway shows broadway dancing musical numbers is i look at the person's face i you know you can look at their body and how they move and you can see some really really interesting takes but i look at their face a lot lot of the times because i want to see what type of emotion they're trying to express. And some of the work that, that that's being do, done in this, such an enjoyable th- thing to watch. It's really enjoy, enjoyable to watch. Now, that's not to say that this movie is a perfect movie. No, not, not at all. There was a lot of shots in this film that after watching it, you kind of look at it and you're like, that has no place to be be in this. This movie is like a little over two hours long and they could have cut it down easily to like 140. And it would have been probably a better film, a little more manageable. I mean, John Lithgow is is in this film and he's portrayed in the scenes that he's in as basically the... What's the word I'm trying to think? He's the nemesis to to Joe Joe Gideon. You know, everybody really loves John Lithgow's work, but he's no Joe Joe Gideon, and they bring that up. But it has zero payoff whatsoever. They never meet in in this movie. The only time they ever meet is in a dream sequence for literally three seconds at the very end. But other than that, they never meet. But they talk about, but John John Lithgow talks about Joe's character with such disdain, such arrogance, such hatred that you'd almost feel like, wow, I want to know a little bit more about the backstory of these two. But they go nowhere with it. Nowhere. You could have cut John Lithgow's character out of this film and it wouldn't have changed the film one bit and that's a weird choice to do it's a weird choice to bring up a character to build up a character like this and not 
and not um, go anywhere where with it. Like he had, a, he had, a, he had a fairly interesting role in this film that they go nowhere with this, but yet they spend so much. Like the, the, this is considered a musical, and they spend so much time on him editing his movie and what's going on with the movie that it almost feels like when you get to the payoff of the film it you you don't care about it because they've spent so much time reiterating and talking about the same things i can't i need to edit this i can't edit this i need to edit this more it's not that good i need to edit it more and then by the time they get to the end of it where it's out you're like I, I don't I you're you're out of that. I don't care about this. You almost wish they didn't bring up you almost wish they didn't have his movie side of the film and they focus specifically on him building up his broad, broad Broadway show and maybe even adding a little more about John Le, John Lithgow and what and what was going on and why he doesn't like him and why he's jealous. But they don't do they don't they don't do do that so it does feel long at times um as i said i don't consider this a pure musical i consider this uh, a movie with musical numbers but i don't consider it a pure musical again i could be wrong i'd like if there's anybody out there who knows more about broadway musicals i'd be interested to to learn a a little bit more but that's just my take on it one thing i have to have to say is I love the ending. I love the ending for this film. I think it's a. I think it's the perfect ending for the for this film. The buildup that it has, and then the last 15, 20 seconds, I think works so well together compared to the rest of the film that I think the ending is well deserved. I think the. I think the ending, or I think the movie earns the ending it has, and a lot of films. Seem seem to either blow their load too much on the ending, or they just they've built up the story that they don't know how to end it. This I feel is a perfect ending for for this film. Now, is this a movie that everybody has to go out and see? No, I don't think you need to see this. This is this is a film that I don't think you need to see. If I was going to talk about musicals, I would say maybe Chicago. I would put I would put multiple musicals that you need to watch before you you get to this Chicago being one one of them but if you're interested in seeing a film that if you're interested in seeing the life of what it's like as somebody who's involved in the Broadway production so much it's it's a good film to watch also there's a storyline about his life insurance that seems like a big point but they spend so little time with it that you honestly you don't care like you you legit you like yeah i get it but i don't really know why they have this in here it's a weird it's there's so many weird like plot like threads through this movie that just aren't tied to the end and don't really pay off anywhere or go anywhere. It's a, it's it's got a lot of odd storylines. As I said, if you're interested in seeing a film about kind of the behind the scenes of what happens, this is a really interesting film to, to watch. There's a lot of other musicals I would go out, go out, go out before, 
but I have to say I enjoyed watching the, this film. I enjoyed it. If not, just for Roy Scheider's acting and the musical numbers. The musical numbers are great in this. There's some really good music. So that is my take on the 1979 All That Jazz. If there's another musical that you wish that I would that you wish that I would talk about, please le- let me know. Because as I said, this is the year of the musicals. I want to get more involved in musicals. So I look fear- forward to hearing what you have to say. And I will see you at the next screening.